We're in Luke chapter 8 today. We're, uh, we're at verse 22, verses 22 through 39. I'm going to welcome in um, those of you who are joining us in the study of Luke, maybe for the, the first time, either here or online. We're tracing this theme of the kingdom of God through the gospel of Luke, and we're picking up all the gold that we can along the way. And we have uh, reached chapter 8 today in this passage. This passage in this sermon is about the powerful and calming influence of Jesus Christ. It's about trusting him when life is hard and chaotic. Can you identify with that today? Maybe there are some of you here who um, can really identify with that right now. If that's you, if you know very well what it feels like to live in a very difficult, hard, chaotic season, then I hope that what we hear about today and what we see is especially meaningful and helpful for you. It's also a challenging Passage. It's, it's going to comfort us in some ways. It's going to challenge us in other ways. There is a person who we're going to meet in this passage who um, offers a, a very sincere and very good prayer to God, offers it to Jesus. And Jesus says no. And why in the world did that ever happen? What could God's purpose be in that? To say no to such... Um, a worthy prayer. And exploring that dynamic may be helpful to you today as well. If you're in a season where you're uh, entreating God for something and asking for something, even something really good, and at this point at least you're hearing no. All of those things are before us this morning in verses 22 through 39. Let's read the passage first. Okay, it's two separate events. They're two completely different events but one unifying pattern. The same thing happens in both accounts, okay? There is a pattern. There's a connection between the two. And the first thing that we'll talk about after we read the passage and pray is is what that pattern is, okay? And then we'll talk about what it means and what it means for us, okay? Now, if you're able and if you're willing, let's stand in honor of God and his word uh, for the reading of the word. This is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. One day he got into a boat, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to a country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons, For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. 
and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Father, um, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would apply these words to each heart. as only you can, penetrating soul and mind and heart. Show us the glories and the, the beauty of your son Jesus here, that the result would be a transformed life, a greater love for Jesus and a greater faith in him. We ask in his precious name, amen. Please be seated. There's the account of the deliverance at sea. And then there's the account of the man delivered from the bondage of the demons, right? Two different events, but as we said, one unifying pattern. It won't be necessary to take a long time to talk about the pattern because even, even though the pattern that they have in common may not be obvious, it is pretty easily grasped once it's pointed out. Okay, so think about it. Both accounts begin with chaos, don't they? There's the the chaos on the sea of, we could call it the chaos of the, the natural world. The forces of the natural world bringing great danger to the people on the sea. There's a windstorm and the boat's filling and they're in danger. Okay, now think about the chaos in the second account, not the chaos of the natural world, but the chaos of um, the spiritual world. The, the large number of demons that have possessed this man that have taken him out of his right mind, he's, he's not wearing any clothes, he's not living in a house, he's living among the dead, he's become more animal than human. 
It's the, the chaotic force of the spiritual world, of the powers of darkness that are threatening this man's well-being, threatening to destroy him. Both the first scene and the second scene present these chaotic scenes that are way beyond human control. There's no way the disciples can control the storm that they're in. There's no way that the people of that town can control this man. They've tried. They've tried the shackles. They've tried everything, and he just breaks those. Both of these events are way beyond human control. That's the first part of the pattern. There's, there's chaos, right? Now, now you can understand and see the second part of the pattern, the thing that they have in common secondly is Jesus brings the calm. Jesus is the one whose presence and power bring the calm. He wakes up and he rebukes the waves and we read that a great calm And Jesus is the one who encounters the man, steps out on land and meets him, and he commands, and the demons go from him. And the people come and find the man, the man formerly just beyond control, is sitting, clothed, in his right mind, and just sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus. Jesus calms the sea, and then he calms the man. And then there's this third component of the pattern. This is where we really know that there's one pattern at play here because we have this third component that you may have noticed, that what was the response in both cases? The response was the fear of the people who witnessed it. When the disciples see the great power of Jesus, how could anyone command the wind and the waves to stop, and they do. And they're afraid. And the people of the community, when they see what's happened to this man, when they hear that Jesus is the one who's done it, they're afraid. They were seized with great fear. That's what we see at the end of the passage in verse 37 and in verse 35, that the fear of the people is emphasized. Who can command the winds and the water? Who could be powerful enough to control this man? Now, having seen the pattern, the, the question becomes what's the point? What are we supposed to take from this? What does it mean? Well, we can say this, that the point of it all is to demonstrate that the presence and the power of Jesus calm the greatest chaos. The presence and the power of Jesus calm the greatest chaos that we can imagine. He is up here against the greatest powers. The awesome, destructive power of nature, power of the natural world that we see manifested among, among ourselves at different times in hurricanes and tornadoes and storms at sea and earthquakes and every kind of destruction. And he's up against that power and he's up against the power of darkness, the power of Satan. And he demonstrates that he is greater. He is stronger. We just sang that a few moments ago. You are stronger 
And he demonstrates that here. All, all other powers have to come to him and are subservient to him. They must obey him. They beg him. All other powers can only do what they do at his permission. And so he shows himself to be God indeed. He shows himself to be God, not only because he demonstrates a greater power, but also in the way that he brings order to the chaos. See, that's what God has always done. That's what God did in the beginning. In Genesis 1-1, the very first thing we read in the scriptures is that the world was without form and it was void and God just spoke and brought order where there was no order. It's what God did in the beginning. It's what God will do in the end. It's among the very last things that we read in the Bible, that this world has been wrecked by sin and there's no harmony among creation. But in the end, by his power, God will order creation and put an end to the chaos. And we will live in perfect peace and harmony as we were always intended. And God will bring this perfect shalom to the world, perfect peace and wholeness, order and calm. That's what God does. That's, and that's what the Son of God does in this passage the presence and the power of Jesus calmed the greatest chaos. Now, the things that we've said so far have been very theological, very big picture things, okay? What does it mean for us practically down at the, the foundations of our lives? What's the practical side for us? Understanding, okay, the presence and the power of Jesus calmed the greatest chaos. What does that mean for me, like now, not in the beginning and in the end, but in my life today, okay? Let's start here, verse 25. Let's start by understanding something. I think the most helpful way to get at this is to think first about the chaotic powers that are at work on us and identify some of those powers that we face that threaten to destroy us. What powers do you see at work upon you that threaten your well-being? Let's start with the one that we all have in common, okay? First of all, the power of sin. There is a power to sin. Paul recognizes that at 1 Corinthians 15, talks about the power of sin. Sin has a power. We know it all too well, don't we? We feel the power of sin drawing us to it by its enticements. And we feel, after we resist a bit, we feel it gets stronger and it pushes in upon us and it pulls us. And we think, there's no way that I could ever say no to this sin. It's too powerful. I can't do it. I've tried for too long. And pretty soon, maybe you just give up. Sin exerts its power on us. We all know what it feels like, whether it's lust, or pride, or anger. Some kind of idolatry. 
we're just thinking about the great power of sin and how it threatens to destroy us. Sin destroys. It puts us in danger. We know that power in our lives. There are other powers at work that we could name. Sin is the one that we all have in common. Other kinds of chaotic powers that are at work on us may come and go and may not be present and felt as often as the power of sin. We could think about the power of fear and anxiety and and how much of a hold that gets on us, The, the fear of people and the fear of social situations or the fear of the unknown and what does the future hold? And fears related to work and related to family. And um, some, of those, some of those fears and anxieties have a, a medical component to them. Some of them, maybe it's more of a spiritual issue. Some of them may be a combination of both. All we're noticing is how powerful that force of fear and anxiety can be. And it threatens our well-being. We could also mention the power of trials and afflictions. The circumstances that you find yourself in may, may seem like this uncontrollable tide of disaster and misery. And it may be challenge after challenge after challenge. And probably the best place to see this is in the story of Job, where he just gets bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news and had to feel like he's just being swept out to sea by this unbelievable tide of circumstance and problems and trials and afflictions. And you may feel like that's you, or you may have been there where you're just being swept out by all these things out of your control, and you wonder, when when will the end ever come? could be the the power of trials and afflictions and they're threatening to destroy you and they are destroying your peace and all these things are at work on us we we face all these things together and we feel their pressure and we feel the danger to our soul we feel like crying out to jesus master we're perishing And so in the midst of all these things, all these chaotic powers at work on us, now we're asking the question, well, what difference does it make that I know Jesus? Like, what difference does it make to know him and be in relationship with him? How can we be helped? Like, these people were helped. How does he bring the calm to our souls? Well, let's start here and look now, look at verse 25. Let's begin here if our question is, how does Jesus help us and calm us in the midst of all these chaotic things? Notice that according to verse 25, faith is what he wants to see from his disciples. He rebukes the waves, and then he rebukes them, saying, where is your faith? 
If you are a disciple of Jesus, notice that what Jesus desires to see in us, in his disciples, in the middle of the chaotic storms, is faith. Not success, not victory, not overcoming, not trying harder, not self-reliance. The thing he was looking for and is looking for is faith. And we can take it a step further and we can notice what we should have faith in. Faith in Jesus, yes, but faith in Jesus to do what? Specifically, faith in what? What about him? Let's get down to the details. Let's not leave it nebulous and flying up here. Let's get down to the very bottom because there's all kinds of treasures in this passage to show us what exactly we can and should believe about Jesus in the midst of these trials, okay? First of all, so two, two things to believe about him when we're going through these things and feel these powers pressing in. First of all, believe that his plan is perfect. That's what we get from verse 22. Understand and believe, Christian, that his plan is perfect. Believe this about Jesus. In the first account, the account of the storm at sea, it was his idea to get into the boat. Let us go across to the other side of the lake. It was his idea. Let us go across to the other side of the lake. It was his plan. He set the course. He took them through the dangers. It was by his initiative. Jesus leads you on your course, Christian. His perfect plan for your life is being worked out. Remember, his word to you is take up your cross and follow me, not take up your cross and lead me, or take up your cross and walk beside me. Take up your cross and follow me. He's leading. Do you know what that means? He has a plan, he's going somewhere. Christ is not wandering aimlessly, leading you aimlessly. He has a plan. Follow me is his word. He said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side of the lake. It's his plan, his initiative. It's by divine appointment. Christ has his aim in your life. He's taking you, as it were, to the other side of the lake and All kinds of challenges and dangers and trials lie in between. You are his disciple and he leads you that you might learn to rely on him. It's the first thing to have faith in. The first thing to believe is that his plan is perfect, okay? Second thing, believe that his power is perfect greater. His plan is perfect and his power is greater. When you are up against the power of sin and the power of fear and the the power of trial, believe and remember that the power of Jesus is greater 
than all of those. Now let's say this. Sometimes that will be obvious to you. Sometimes it will be obvious that Jesus' power is greater. You will be tempted by sin, and on that day, you will walk away. You will say no to the sin. You will walk away, and you will not sin. And you will say on that day, Jesus' power is greater. I applied to him for help. I was tempted to sin, and I walked away. How did that happen? Jesus' power was greater. He led me through. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it will be obvious that his power is greater. Sometimes, sometimes you won't see it. Sometimes it won't be obvious to you that his power is greater. You won't see the demonstration of his power that you're hoping to see. Christ will seem to be sleeping in the midst of your storm. You will plead for an end to the chaotic powers at work on you. Maybe fear, maybe anxiety, maybe an affliction, maybe wave after wave of bad news and difficulty, and God may seem distant and uncaring and unresponsive, unsympathetic to your trial as the disciples in the boat saw Jesus sleeping in the midst of their alarm and and fear. Now think about it. In that moment when they saw him sleeping in the boat, was Christ holding all power? Yes, yes, he was. Could they see that power? Did it seem like he was in control in that moment? No, no, it didn't. Christ ruled from his sleep. He held them by his power in perfect sovereign care, even though that's not what they were experiencing. It didn't feel like it. And you will have such days All the tide of trial and Satan will be against you, and it will seem that Christ sleeps in uncaring sleep. And in that moment, when you're going through something so hard and you're praying for help and you're not getting any response, you have two choices. The same choices that the disciples had. Number one, you can keep trying to wake him up. Or you can lay down next to him. Let me ask you a question. Which is the greater power? The power to calm a storm? Or the power to be so at peace in the sovereign care of God that you sleep through it. There's a lot of astounding things that happen in this passage. Maybe, just maybe, the most astounding thing of all is that Jesus is sleeping through the storm which is so violent that everyone thinks they're going to die. Let me ask you another question, Christian. What if Christ is not leading you out of hard circumstances just yet? 
but leading you instead toward rest with him in the midst of those hard circumstances. What if what he wants to see from you is not overcoming, but faith, the kind of faith, the kind of faith that will lay down with him when everyone else is trying to wake him up? kind of faith that will lay down with him and be at peace in your soul that his plan really is perfect and his power really is greater even if you're not seeing it. That is the aim here. The aim of this whole section is that our faith, our perfect trust in Jesus might increase. That we would be so sure of who he is and what he can do that if he doesn't calm the storm, we are content to rest with him and in him. Just remember that what he wanted to see from his disciples was faith. His plan is perfect. His power is greater. Okay? What do we have to fear with the one whose plan is perfect and whose power is greater? Just one more thing to notice. This is going to be pretty quick. This is going to be a hard right-hand turn, okay? But we want to take a, a, just a quick flying glance as we go by and we just close the book on this whole thing. One last look behind to notice the, the new and different power that Jesus unleashes at the end of this account. He unleashes on the people of the Gerasenes, he unleashes the power of a transformed life. The demon-possessed man, now in his right mind, is sent out among them to be a startling, powerful testimony to the power of Jesus Christ to transform a person. It's often seemed a little bit sad to me that, ironically, the only person in this account that does not get their prayer answered with a yes is this man. Several requests are made of Jesus in this account. The disciples get their prayer answered. He helps them. He saves them. The people of the town who witnessed the man being healed... They get their request answered with a yes. They see what Jesus can do. Jesus, would you please get out of here? Yes, I will get out of here. I will leave. Even the demons get their request answered. Hey, Jesus, don't send us over there. Send us over there instead. Okay. And then this man comes with the best request of all. It's the most noble. It's the highest. It's the best request. He just wants to be with him. And Jesus says, no. How could it possibly be that he says yes to everything, even what the demons want, and this man with the best thing says no? And that's often seemed impossible to understand. How could he say no? He said yes to the demons. 
He said yes to the worst request. Jesus, go away. That's the worst thing that anyone could ever ask for. He tells this guy no. Here's what Here's what I didn't understand. And here's what we should all understand that Jesus doesn't so much refuse him as he unleashes him. He unleashes this torrent of power among the people who won't be able to answer what they see. How could this possibly be the same man in his right mind? Notice the great contrast in the words presented to us. At the beginning, it was the man who was often seized. He was seized by the demons. And at the end, it's the people who are seized with fear. They're the ones who are seized now. He's the only one in his right mind. We see the same thing in the apostle Paul, who was Saul, the persecutor of the church, and somehow became Paul, the great lover of the church. How could it possibly be the same man? See, there's no power like the power of a transformed life. It's unanswerable. And that is the power that God seeks to unleash in you as well. That is his design with you. That he transforms you in order to send you to be an agent of transformation in the lives of other people. The gospel of Jesus doesn't just save a person. It transforms a person into a new creation. To be a marvel out among the world. I saw this with my own eyes. I saw something I could hardly believe three weeks ago. I was at a wedding, a wedding reception. And a 21-year-old stood up to give the toast to the bride and groom. It was the best toast I've ever heard. I would nominate it for the best toast of all time. It was amazing. It wasn't amazing because of the stories that got told and because of how personal it was and how humorous it was at times. All those things were present. I couldn't believe it because there was a 21-year-old who was saying things so beautiful and true and eloquent about Jesus and what it meant to be the bridegroom and to love a bride. I couldn't believe it. I said, I was sitting there thinking, who is this guy? Whoever I'm listening to, he's the next guy. Like, everybody needs to hear from him, not me, from him. I, I couldn't believe it. And afterwards, after the toast was over, I went up to him and I said, that was amazing. Thank you. I don't know who you are, but I'm stunned. Two minutes later, after I had left the guy, two minutes later, a guy who I know came up to me and said, I'm so glad you went up and congratulated so-and-so on that toast. That must have meant the world to him. What you don't know is that two years ago, his life was a disaster. All kinds of trouble. Couldn't stay at home. Trouble of every kind. He moved in with our family. For two years, he's been sitting at the feet of Jesus. What you just saw and heard 
is the result of a young man sitting for two years at the feet of Jesus. That's what you just saw. Everyone in that room today saw a marvel. That's the aim of Jesus with your life, to make you unexplainable and a marvel for what he can do when a person sits at the feet of Jesus. Same words from our text in Luke 8. And you are that marvel. That's the power of the gospel at work in you and me. Don't forget, that's who we are. That's what we talk about when we go out among the people of the world. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Calmed in order to go and tell. Transformed to be transforming. Sitting at his feet in order to be unleashed on his world. Jesus calms all the powers, and then at the end, he unleashes the greatest power, the power of the gospel. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel. There's no power like it. There is no greater power. It exceeds the power of the ocean and the power of Satan. It is the power of a changed life, freed from the bondage of sin. Is it, it is a saved life and a new life, and it comes from Jesus. We are well today because of him. And if you're, if you're listening to this prayer right now and you don't know Jesus today, and you would be well and be new and be changed, come to him. He will free you. He will save you. He will transform you. His plan is perfect, and his power is greater. And we pray in his powerful name. Amen.